Hey, well, praise the Lord. Uh, if we could all just stand real quick, change position. Actually, you were just standing, then you were sitting, now you're standing. All right, now sit down, now stand up. No. <laughs> Simon says, yeah, we just want to welcome you to uh, Greater Grace Frederick, our Sunday service. And uh, yeah, is, is this your first time, sir? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to have Rich here. So uh, just a couple announcements before we get into the passage uh, while you're standing. Um, yeah, okay. Let me just think here. That's why I got notes, actually. All right, just so here's the first announcement. On Sundays, that there is a, a need for Sunday school teachers. Uh, so we've had a couple people volunteer. So if you're interested or you mentioned you're interested before, please uh, come in and see me and we can talk. Also, this Saturday is our worship night. Does everybody know that? Okay, if not, we're going to make sure everybody gets a text. And it uh, looks like it's going to be a good turnout. It's going to be really awesome. It's at uh, Carroll Creek, uh, the South Mountain Creamery. It's going to be a great time. But uh, Ben is looking for um, prayer partners, right? Is that how we're, where did Ben go? Oh, he's gone. I think uh, Ben's looking for prayer, prayer partners. So what's going to happen is in the middle of the service, what's going to happen is that there's going to be different times that are allotted for, for people to come up and have prayer. So if you'd want to volunteer to be like one of those guys, to, and girls, we need girls too, actually. If you want to be one of those people to come and pray with people, that'd be awesome. So again, come and see me for that. All right. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. This is going to be our passage, and we're just going to read these passages, and then we'll take a seat. It's amazing, the book of Nehemiah, that they, they stood up for the entire day and read the Mosaic Law. Yeah, and then that was it, you know. They stood up the whole time. <laughs> and not even good reading, you know, one could say. So Colossians 2, verses 18 through 19. It says, Let no one cheat you of your reward. Take delight, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, in, uh, intruding into those things which, have, uh, which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this afternoon. We are grateful that we can open our Bible and we can read these verses here and that they will speak to us. And we ask that these words will be from your throne and give us clarity and understanding. Speak to our needs. Maybe there's things in our hearts that we are kind of keeping there. We ask that we could just lay them aside, at least for this moment, so the Word of God, the Spirit of God could come unhindered and just really interrupt our daily lives. We just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. It's an interesting passage in Colossians chapter 2, isn't it? Verses 18 and 19. And on the surface, it seems a little, a little strange, but actually as we get into it, we're going to see the beauty that is behind it. And really, uh, one thing that Paul is doing is he's correcting false teachers, but 
through correcting false teachers, he is encouraging the body of Christ to really adhere to good teachers and to adhere to the gospel in its purest form. And last week we talked about verses 16 and 17, and we said, let no one judge you. Does anybody remember that, that message from last week? I really enjoyed it. And I was reading some more verses on this topic this morning. You know, verses like James chapter 5, verse 9, it says, I forget what translation, it might be the ESV. It says, let no one complain about you. Isn't that good? I mean, I, I, I need to hear that. Do you need to hear that? Yeah, we could sit there and, and, you know, you could sit, your boss could be complaining about you and you just quote James 5, 9 to him. The Bible says, don't let anybody complain about you. So stop complaining about my terrible work. <laughs> you know, or maybe in relationships it can happen. You know, a wife gets angry at the husband or vice versa. There could be complaining. Uh, but it goes along with what Paul is saying in Corinthians 2, uh, 16 and 17, let no one judge you. Because we read in Romans chapter 2, I believe also it's verse 9, it says at the end of the day, Jesus will judge all men. Isn't that amazing? Jesus will judge all. I love that. You know, because I think I know something, and then I go in and I, I'm all puffed up like this verse says. I, I am haughty. I think I know something, and I go in and I make a judgment. And then the person I'm judging gives me a little bit more information. And you know what I find myself doing? Looking foolish. <laughs> because I judged incorrectly because I didn't have the right information. Because it wasn't mine to know. It is God's. They are God's children. So last week we were pointing out the fact that it is Christ. He is the only one who can judge us. He is the only one who can and he is the only one who has the ability to judge what is right and wrong in our life. You know, so we should not give that authority to any other one person. That's what he's talking about in those previous verses, that we could give the authority in somebody else's life to judge me. Why? By listening to their false teaching, Paul is saying. So it's just a little bit review. But we also made it very, very clear. Now, I want to make sure that this is clear again. That we cannot use this passage where it says, Paul says, let no one judge you. You can't use that as an excuse for sin. You know, I've heard so many people say, well, just, you can't judge me. That's not very Christian of you. <laughs> I'm like, well, you know, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, if there is sin in your life, we need to, you know, call it as it is. And we need to point it, point it out. You know, and we're not sitting here talking bad about you and we're not, you know, judging you in this way, but we are making a distinction that there is something in your walk with God that is incorrect. And, you know, this verse is not an excuse for us to live in sin and continue to live in sin and continue to live in a way that harms our walk with God. Because you know what is, what is most important in our life is our walk with God. It doesn't matter. Your job doesn't matter. Your relationships don't matter. Your house doesn't matter. Your car doesn't matter. None of these things matter because 70, 80 years, it is given to you. That is it. And then it's all going to be gone. Gone. It's dust. The Bible says that one day it will all catch on fire and be burned to the ground and nothing will be left. But that which we invest in Jesus Christ will last forever. 
So these things don't matter. These things don't matter. So we come to this passage here where it says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delights in false humility. You know, here what is happening is that Paul is talking directly to the church and he's speaking about the character of the false teachers. Now look at how Paul you know, defines these false teachers. He says that they, are, they have false humility and they are puffed up in their mind. That is how these teachers are characterized. Now imagine going into a job interview and on your, you know, your resume, your CV, you write in, hey, I'm, I, am, I have false humility and I am vainly puffed up in my fleshly mind. Please hire me. You know, and be, oh wait, we're staying far away from you, right? No, that doesn't happen in the church, right? When somebody comes and they apply for a church position, they hey, I want to be promoted. Or they, hey, I want to, I want to preach at your church. You know, and that, this kind of stuff happens. Oh, hey, do, is there false humility in your life? And you know, how do you answer that question? <laughs> well, actually there is, you know. I should warn you. Or are, are you puffed up in your mind? Are you intellectual or are you spiritual? These are things that no man would define themselves this way. This is a thing that only the Spirit can discern. And here is what Paul is do, doing. is He is saying to the church, he says, No one can judge you, but I am charging you to judge these teachers and to find out if these teachers themselves... Or have false humility, or if they're puffed up in their mind. That's how they're being characterized. And what do these cheat teachers do? They judge you, and they, they cheat you. That word cheat is, is so powerful. I think we spoke about this word a couple weeks ago. You know, But this word cheat, do you know what it means? It means to, to act as an empire and to make a bad call. Anybody watch the Super Bowl and felt there was a few bad calls? Yeah, the week before, you know, you're, you're not very objective there, are you? <laughs> Ravens fan, you know, sad when the Ravens lose. Yeah, yeah, no, it happens all the time, right? Because what are we doing? We're adding, we're asking a man in a striped t-shirt, you know, to make, you know, multi-million dollar judgment calls. And that's what this word cheat means. It means that, you're, that there is somebody who's acting as an empire and makes the wrong call. And what does he do? The Greek word means that this umpire makes the wrong call and cheats you of your salvation. Meaning this, I am saved. I'm going to heaven. Nobody can ever cheat me of that. I'm not talking about that. But because of these false teachers coming in my life and teaching me something that is wrong, I begin to do something that is not from the Bible, but is from a false teaching. And therefore, destroying the opportunity for God to come in and bring something amazing in my life. Actually, he says it in verse 19, that I will not be nourished. I will not be nourished by these false teachers. I will not be in the body of Christ with these false teachers. And here's the amazing thing is I will not receive the increase from God from these false teachers. Why? Because they are judgmental and they are cheating. They are robbing you of something that God desires to give you. So I was just thinking about this and 
I think uh, maybe next week or the week after. I, I don't know. We're getting close to Easter. Do you guys know that? I didn't realize it. I, I was reading the news this morning, and they're talking about Lent. You know, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll give up my jelly beans or something. You know, and I was just um, thinking, but, but I really would like to talk about this topic of humility. When we were living in China, this is a topic that came up all the time, and I, I don't know why. Maybe it was just so foreign, you know, to the Chinese. I, I don't really know. But I do know it's so foreign to humanity. Like, we have such a problem with humility. But isn't humility such a key characteristic in our walk with God? I mean, who does God give grace to? The humble. Who does he resist? The proud. Do you think, do you think humility is important? You know, who did Jesus choose to be his disciples? Yeah, not the proud, not the Pharisees. He, he chose these simple, you know, confused, you know, Galileans, these fishermen. What about Moses? Do you think Moses, when he was 40 years old, had the intellect and the capability of leading the Jews out of Egypt? 100% he did. I mean, he received the best education that was known to the ancient world. Best military advice ever known to the world. He was a military a leader for the Egyptian army. Do you think he could have led Israel out of the wilderness at the age of 40? He could have. But what did he lack? Humility. That's why he killed that Egyptian and buried him in the sand. And what did God work in his life? It took 40 years for God to work humility in Moses' life. And you know what it says of Moses? That he was the meekest man in all the earth. And every single time, you know, I, Moses is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he was not an authoritarian. He wasn't this alpha male running you know, 2,000 uh, Jews through the, through the desert. He was a humble man. And every single time somebody came against him, you know what he did? Fell to his knees and prayed to God. Korah starts a rebellion. What does he do? He falls to his knees and he prays to God. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't fight for the nation. He falls to his knees and prays to God and say, God, you deal with it. You called me here. You called me into this mess. If you wanted me to fight, you should have let me you know, do this 40 years ago when I had the ability to fight. It's amazing, isn't it? Humility, humility. But these teachers here, they have no humility and they are defined, and we're going to see this also later in verse 23 of Colossians 2, that they have a false humility. And I just want to read this. This is, um, I forget, it's a Greek scholar. It says, false humility makes a person look and sound humble, but it masks a heart full of pride. In contrast with genuine humility that is characterized by reliance on God and a servant-oriented outlook towards others. Isn't that good? That's what false humility is. I want to read it again because this is going to become just a really a main part of our message. False humility becomes, uh, makes a person look and sound humble, but it masks a heart full of pride in contrast with genuine humility, which is characterized by reliance on God and servant-oriented outlook towards others. This is, 
This is an amazing, amazing quote. How is humility characterized? It's characterized by reliance upon God. Now, let me ask that question right now. How many of you guys could learn to depend on God a little more? Yeah. It's amazing. When you think you learned it, you know, God has to teach it to you all over again. Isn't it true? Like, oh, I'm good. I, don't, I, I trust you, God. I have faith. And then something comes up and you realize, I don't have any faith. I don't depend on you. I depend on the, my two hands. I depend on my job. I depend on my family. I depend on my church. I depend on my pastor. I depend, I depend, I depend. And very quickly, I no longer depend on God. You know, in church, you need to be knit in the body of Christ. You need to have a pastor teacher. You need to be taught the word of God. But do you know what you still need? You need to have your own personal dependency upon Christ. You can't be in here without that. You have to have that in your life. Now look at what Colossians 2 verse 19 says about these false teachers. He says, what they are not holding fast to the head. What does that mean? Well, it's connected to this quote about humility. It means that they don't have reliance on Christ. They are not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by the joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Meaning that these false teachers, they are not being characterized by their dependency on Christ. How are they being characterized? They're being characterized by their false teaching, which is unique. And this case is about, you know, worshiping angels. And what they have done is they have cut the head off and they brought Christ down here and they elevated the angels and said, this is how we get to Christ. When in all actuality, they're taking Christ out of the preeminence. We see that in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. That Christ is sovereign. Christ is preeminent. Christ is above all. And he is the head of the church. Pastor Gary, you know, just uh, gave us a great, um, a great compliment. As somebody said, you know, that we idolize Christ too much. Somebody, that was a comment that we've received. You, meaning that you guys think about Christ too much. I mean, that is, that is the best thing I've ever heard. You know? <laughs> that, hey, thank you so much. You know, make, you know, complain more about us. <laughs> I love it. You know? Why? Why do we idolize? Why is Christ so preeminent? Because the Bible makes him the focus. The Bible says that he is the head of the church. The Bible says here in Colossians chapter 2 that he is the only way that I can be nourished. He's the only way that this church can be nourished. He's the only way that all these funny, quirky pieces of the body of Christ can come together and make something beautiful. He is the only way that in my life that I can have spiritual increase. Not, you know, financial increase. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying that Christ is going to increase in your life. It is because he is our head. But these false teachers, they are defined as not holding fast to the head. <coughs> so what happens in this congregation they are not being nourished. They are not being knit together. And there is no increase from God. And again, that's not money and that's not numbers either. 
That's the condition of people's soul. Isn't that amazing? Has anybody ever, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go there, but, you know, in, in churches today, it could happen that way, right? Where the congregation is not being nourished by Christ. They're not being fit into the body of Christ. And they're not being increased, spiritually speaking. But they are preaching a political message. They are preaching a philosophical message. And they are never, ever connecting Christ to others. Paul also says that these false teachers are vainly puffed up. I really enjoy this passage because it says that there's, there's an emptiness and there's, there's a swelling in their intellectual pride. Like they had so much intellect, yet it was empty. It was empty. And their intellectual pride was being governed by their sinful nature. That we could sit here in a church and you know what could happen? Is that we become intellectual about Jesus. We become philosophical about the cross. We begin to theorize heaven and hell. We begin to talk about these things as things that are in the distance and there's something, you know, there is a mist around them and they're not, they really can't, we could be mystical about it. We could be speaking these ways. And the reason why that happens is because our sinful nature brings an emptiness into the gospel. And Paul says that, that that is empty, that is vain. It has no value. It has no value. Don't be coaxed by the intellectual, you know, intellectualism of the age. Don't be coaxed by whatever pop theology that is happening in the world today. Don't be coaxed by the political agenda that you know, governments can have in the church. Don't be coaxed by anything else besides the gospel. Because it's anything besides Christ and Him crucified. It's anything besides Christ being the head. What is the result? The result is the head is cut off and there is no more nourishment in your life. There is no more body of Christ and there is no increase. See, we're going to say this over and over and over again because the church is so important. And the church is so important only when Christ is where He belongs. And if I take Christ and I put Him where He doesn't, I put him in my pocket, I put him in my genie lamp, I put him on my shelf, and I refuse to submit to him, and I elevate whatever I feel like I need to elevate to make myself a better human being. Right? A lot of, a lot of churches, a lot of life can be about making myself better. And I hope you, be, you guys become better people. That'd be nice. <laughs> but you know what? It's about Christ. It's not about you being better. It's not you you know, becoming less, you know, sinful. It's you and Christ. It's you and Christ. It's you being connected to that head. So again, what do we see? That there is no humility in these teachers. And their humility has brought them to a place of emptiness. It's amazing. You know, a little side note, what's interesting about the Church of Colossae is the Church of Colossae was told to read the letter that was written, that Paul wrote to Laodicea. Now, if you open your Bible, you're not going to turn to you know, the book of Laodicea. 
It's a lost book that we don't, we, the lost letter. We don't know anything about it. But we do read in the book of Revelations of the church of Laodicea, don't we? And what does John, what does God, what does Christ have to say about Laodicea? Yeah, nothing good. They were lukewarm. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to me that Paul says, read this letter. And we can say, if you don't adhere to what I am teaching you now, what will the result be? Well, read Revelations in the church of Laodicea. You'll be no good. <laughs> You'll be lukewarm. That is the end result. But we are told to hold fast to Christ being the head. I, I, love, I love when the Bible gives us a command. I love the active voice. And, you know, I, love, I love doing stuff. You know, a lot of our churches, we, we are passively receiving grace, right? I mean, that, that's true. We receive positional truth. It is not, you know, we're not saved by works of our own righteousness. We are saved by faith and by grace alone. And actually, the works that we do end up doing is because of God gave us a little bit of faith. And that faith grows because we made a couple of decent decisions in life and we're growing in Christ. But here is a command by the Apostle by the Apostle Paul. You mentioned it two other times. I just want to mention these really quick. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Here's a command. Using the same, the same Greek word. It says, hold to the traditions which you were taught. Meaning the letters that I have written to you and the gospel that you have received, hold to those. And one more is Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14, this Greek word is being used again. <laughs> it says, hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to your confession. This is, this is a word, this is, these are the only three times that this word, hold fast, is being used in the New Testament in, in a, a spiritual figure of speech on what God is asking me to do. On what God is asking me to do. And he's saying this. This is an active voice and it's something that God wants us to have a habit of doing. What does God want us to have a habit of doing? Holding to Christ our head. Holding to the word of God and holding to our faith. Our profession of faith. Our confession of faith. God wants us to hold to these things. Now this is like, uh, I want us to understand this word hold fast in this way, meaning to, um, nope, not there, to embrace and to confine. To embrace and to confine. You know, uh, often when you think of holding fast, I, I think of, you know, uh, maybe football, you're holding onto the ball, you know, and guys are trying to punch it out. I think of rock climbing, you know, you're, you're 10, 20, you know, 20 feet up in the air, and what are you doing? but you're holding to those rocks so you don't fall. You know, because if you fall, what happens? And you fall on a mat, you're fine, actually. <laughs> no, I mean, you could die, right? In real life, you could die. So you're holding fast. But think about hold fast this way, as embracing. What are we embracing? We're embracing Christ as our head. You know? It's like, you know, you're just, this is mine, this is my Christ, this is my Savior, and He is my head, and this is how I receive 
nourishment. This is how I receive increase. This is how I understand the body of Christ, is by me embracing Christ as my head. I'm embracing the gospel, the word of God, the letters of the epistle. I'm embracing our confession of faith. I'm embracing these things. Why? And when you use the word embrace, the connotation is there also of love, right? Because we only embrace that which we love. You're embracing and loving Christ. You're embracing and loving. But also that word means to confine. And I like it in this way. Not that he is separate and over here and don't touch him, but actually that he is separate and nothing can touch him. Right? Meaning that if Christ is confined in my life, means there is no room, you know, in this, in this epistle, there is no room for this teaching about angels. There's no room for this teaching about Gnosticism. There's no, te- no room for this teaching about legalism. There's no room. Why? Because I'm, I'm keeping Christ confined in my life. I am guarding this. This belongs to me. And if I let go, I'm in trouble. I'm embracing and I'm confining the Word of God in my life. I'm not adding anything else to the Word of God. It is strictly the Word of God. I'm, not, I'm, I'm embracing and confining, you know, uh, faith, the confession of faith in my life. And it is amazing because this word is used 50 times in the New Testament. And every time it's just used like this, you know, hold fast, like grab it and hold it. That's it. But in these three verses, it's used in a spiritual sense to illustrate how Paul wants us to embrace Christ as our head, to embrace faith, to embrace the gospel. And he's telling this church, he's saying that if you do this, then you will be, and we said it over and over again, that's what we do when we preach, is you will be nourished. You will be nourished when you embrace Christ. When you let him go, What happens? The floodgates come in. And the enemy says a lie. And I believe a lie. Another doctrine comes in. And I believe it. And it changes my perspective about God. I mean, how I went to Bible school. I went to seminary with with people who are amazing men and women of God. They were great preachers. Some of the best that I've ever seen or heard. And today, they don't even believe in Jesus. They don't even believe in God. How could you go to seminary, graduate for four years, and then all of a sudden not believe in God? Because you stopped holding fast. You stopped embracing. You stopped confining Christ being your head. And you started asking these questions. And it's not wrong to ask questions. Because if the Bible is real, it can withstand any question that you can ever present. That's not wrong. But it's these it's these. These questions, you know what kind of questions I'm talking about. That, that they're ones that just pr- provoke more questions. You know, you know the kind of questions I'm talking about. You've heard them a thousand times. You've maybe even said them to your, you know, to your pastor or yourself. You know, you know what I'm talking about. But it's just like they, 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 they just opened up and they stopped embracing 
Are there things that we don't understand about the Bible? Yes. Are there things that we don't understand about theology? Yes. Are there things that, you know, I could meet with this congregation, this congregation, we could have a disagreement about, you know, this doctrine? Yes, that can happen. But you know what? There's one thing I know for sure, that one day I will be in heaven, and I will see Christ, my head, my Savior, my Father, and I'm going to sit at a big old banquet table with Him, and I'm going to be feasting with Him, and fellowshipping with Him, and I'm going to be talking with Him, and He is going to reveal all things to me. Do you know why I know that? Because I have embraced, I have confided, I have held fast to this teaching that the Apostle Paul is telling us, the Bible presents, that Jesus Christ Himself tells us is real. And I'm not letting it go by the, by the grace of God. This is a message here to a church and Paul is looking out and he is saying, I want to see you following Christ in five years. I want to see you following Christ in 10. I want to see you following Christ in 20, 30, 40. I want, I want you to be 100 years old on your deathbed and saying, praise the Lord. I want you to you know, I want you to be going through that valley and where there is death all around, and I want you to say, Christ is my head. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's not saying, hey, you know what, it's going to be okay. Jesus is going to give you some rainbows and unicorns and, you know, bubble gum, and you're going to feel better. No, he's saying that I want you to go the distance in your walk with God. This life is messy, isn't it? There are many reasons to quit. There's many reasons to say, no more, Jesus, I'm done. It's a lot easier not to serve you. But do you know what? I think we can make it a little bit longer, can't we? I think we can listen to Paul's you know, command to the Colossi church, saying, hold fast to your head. Be nourished by Christ. F be fit into the body. There's a place where you belong. Maybe it's being a Sunday school teacher. There we go. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, being a prayer, prayer partner on, on Saturday night. Maybe it's uh, being a friend on the other end of, the of a phone. Maybe it's, you know, raking leaves in somebody's yard. And what happens in your life is that Christ brings the increase. You know, quick story. When we were living in China... Um, you know, we had to, you know, we're pretty bad at fundraising. So we had to, I ended up working while I was in China teaching English. And actually, you know, you can make really good money teaching English in China, $30 an hour, you know, which is good money here, you know, decent money here. But there, I mean, you're living like a king at, you know, $30 an hour. So I, I was working, and it's funny, I was making, like, you know, good money being a teacher, yet I found that I never had enough. Not because of my own selfishness, I wanted more. It was I still couldn't pay my bills. <laughs> like, this doesn't make any sense. You know, I'm doing the math, I'm writing my budget, and everything should be okay. I'm working enough, and we're, we're good. And I remember Kaylee telling me, she says, if we're going to sit here and work 20, 30 hours a week in China, let's just go home. You can make more money at home, and then you can support a missionary. So I said, all right, fine. So I quit my job. And had no money. <laughs> Amazing. Had no money. You know what God did? I'm not in the prosperity gospel, but man, my needs were met. 
My needs were mess. And, and it's a simple, simple thing. God doesn't, he's not asking you to be careless. God isn't telling you to be unreasonable. But he is saying this, let me be your head. Let me be your head. You know, and I needed to learn in that spot, why was I there? I was there to be a missionary. I wasn't there to teach English. I wasn't. I, you are there to be a missionary. Now submit to the head. And I found that God provided. And it was amazing. You know, so many times we find ourselves in trouble over and over and over again. Why? Because we've taken away the preeminency of Christ. We've taken away his kingship. We've taken away his headship. And we've put him under something else. And Paul is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Amen? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this afternoon and this, this teaching. And we ask that uh, there is something for us all to really grasp inside of this, these thoughts. There is something for us to hear. That there's one little you know, gospel nugget for us to take home and mull over as we sit at our dining room table, as we sit in our car. And we ask, Lord, that you will be our head. You're the head of this church in all things that we do. And Lord, if you add numbers and you're, you add, you know, property or something like that one day, keep us humble. Because there is nothing more important than the presence of God on a Sunday morning, afternoon, evening, <laughs> to have the presence of God in our life. To open the Bible and have the presence of God to worship music and it was song and had the presence of God, to be provoked to pray when we don't pray very often and have the presence of God. There's nothing more important. And I ask, Lord, that you will do that in our lives, that you will speak to us and add to this church, add to the, add to the content of our hearts. Help us to withstand any temptation that would take you off the throne and devalue who you are in our lives. We're so sophisticated and there's so much science that can disprove God that you're still here. We open our Bible and we know that you are alive and you are real and you are living in our hearts. And we ask that you would reveal yourself more and more and more make it easier and easier for us to draw near to you. As the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, help us to taste and help us to see your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.